0: Isn't that good? Man. I got saved at a drug rehab center. It's where I first found the Lord. And the pastor there was a really, he always called himself a swamp rat. Swamp rat from Florida. He was from Lake Okeechobee, Florida. And he always used to have this saying, bad English, but good theology. He said, the closer you get to God, he gets gooder and gooder. <laughs> Um, Armando's setting us up here i have a i actually have a some slides that I want to walk through this morning uh but before we get started i do want to take a moment and um let's just honor the lord who' he's just his presence is so strong here Whew. Jesus we just honor you right now we thank you for being with us we thank you for being amongst us right now and uh we just yield everything to you We yield to you right now, Holy Spirit. Pray for the next few moments that we're together here, that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That wisdom and revelation would just begin to fill this tent, that it would begin to fill our hearts, our minds. As Chad led us last night, Holy Spirit, I, I come into agreement that you are expanding our minds that you are expanding our capacity to think, that you're breaking us out of even old patterns of thinking and preparing us for new ways of thinking. Give us your thoughts this morning, Holy Spirit. We welcome you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen? Awesome. Well, I got an announcement. I got to make a quick announcement. Um, Amber, raise your hand, Amber. This is my wife, Amber. Special day today. Today we celebrate 16 years of marriage. And I also learned, are the greens here? Megan and Mac, where are you guys at? Raise your hand. Are you here? Megan and Mac? Mac just went inside. Today's their wedding anniversary. Four years they've been married. There he is. Give it up for Mac right there. Happy anniversary. And uh, I, I actually feel it's prophetic and it fits right in for this morning because... Um, on May 16th, a couple of days ago, I woke up and I read Psalm 16. If you're familiar with that passage, David makes this statement. He goes, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a good inheritance in the Lord. And I've been thinking about that, especially what we're going to talk about, about the Carolinas and the boundary lines and really the authority that's resting on this land. And as I began to think about it, the Lord reminded me today's our 16th anniversary. It's no mistake. Lindsay Swanson, Reverend Lindsay, has had a dream last night about the Lord wanting to marry the bride. And I just have this sense that I don't know where this goes, but in Isaiah 62, there is a verse that says the Lord desires to marry the land. He mm-hmm. desires to marry the land. And um, I just want to just begin to open us up to that, that this land is precious. When I say this land, I'm referring to the Carolinas. It really is precious. So I want to take some moments this morning, I actually want to go slow, and I actually want to just really teach us about our history, teach us about the deposits that have been made in this land, and even the significance of land in the Bible, because it really is powerful. I don't know if everybody can see this screen, but we'll give it a go as best we can. And I even got a clicker. Look at that. So I want to answer this question this, after, this morning, why the Carolinas? This is fire in the Carolinas gathering, right? And, and why the Carolinas? What's so special about the Carolinas? Well, we know the Lord made the earth, and he loves the entire earth. But I've also learned that there are just certain pockets and places that really catches attention. And the Carolinas is one of those. So we're going to go through that today. Um, turn with me to Deuteronomy 11, 10 through 14. Let's start here. Deuteronomy 11, 10 through 14. As you're going there, Hosea 4, 6, uh, I believe Chad referenced this passage last night. You know, that's where the prophet said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That word knowledge, root word, yada, referring to intimacy with him. And as, uh, as I thought about that verse, you know, I, I feel like that, that scripture is so powerful because I think it even spills into other areas. In addition to not knowing him personally and intimately, absolutely we are destroyed. But I also think, too, that having an, uh, not understanding of other things, we could also suffer from that, specifically when it comes to the land that God calls us to. When it comes to the communities, he's called us to be planted at and serve at. If, if we don't have a, a good understanding and a knowledge, we could suffer from that. And so I want to show you in Deuteronomy 11 an example. This is when uh, the Lord speaks to Israel. Now watch this. It says in verse 10, it says, For the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, and where you sowed your seed and irrigated it, like the garden of vegetables. You know, in Egypt, they lived there for how many years? 400 years. It's a different climate, climate in Egypt than it was Israel. And in Egypt, it was more desert-like, even more than Israel. And to get water, the source was the Nile River, not so much the rain. So in order to actually have enough water for the crop system in Egypt, you had to dig canals and trenches an irrigation system, if you will, to really put water in all the vegetables. That's a lot of hard work. Anybody ever dug a ditch in here before? Guys, that is hard work. So there was a lot of ditch digging going on, and there was a lot of sweat, a lot of labor. But listen to the word, right? God's saying, listen, you've lived like that. Think about it. They had to operate a certain way to survive for decades, centuries even. But God says, but where you're going is going to be completely different. Now, let's pick back pick, back up. And it says, but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that your Lord God cares for. And the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to its end. Here's the key verse. And if you indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God, With all your heart, soul, and mind, and to serve him, then he will give you rain for your land in season, the early in the latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your wine, in your oil. Do you see what's going on? Basically, God is saying, listen, you've been in a certain season for a long time, and you've been operating in a land for a long time, but to go where I'm leading you, to go to this land, it's going to require a different mindset. The Egypt part of them living required them living on basically their performance, tracking their own initiative, their own ability, their own sweat. But he's saying we're going into a different space now. We're going into a different realm. There's a grace in Israel where I'm leading you, the land of milk and honey, that was not so much present in Egypt and in order for you to prepare Productive in order for the land to be productive, it's not going to be based on how well you perform, but it's going to be based on how well you love me with all your soul, soul, heart, and mind. And don't put anything before me. In other words, how well are you going to be led by the word of the Lord for your life, even without your own opinion? understanding or experiencing clouding what he's leading you to do. Basically God is saying if you can operate in that mentality then it will go well with you and you will receive this this inheritance this land. What I'm trying to bring us up to just even to begin is that there are there are different graces in the land. So there are literally, there are some places in the land where you could put your feet on and there's an access to God's grace that you cannot experience anywhere else. Is that unbelievable? Literally. And so when you look at the Bible that way from a demographic point of view, the places in the scripture have so much meaning and revelation. So one of the major ones I want to talk about that just really sticks out with me is is this place called Shechem. And I want to talk a little bit about this, about the biblical basis of Shechem and why it's a gateway to Israel. But then also, I want to show us why the Carolinas is also the gateway to the south and what I believe God is saying for us today in this gathering. So Shechem, the way of Israel. In Genesis 12, go with me real quick to this verse. Genesis 12, I want you to see this. Unbelievable. We read, when Abram is called out by the Lord to leave everything he knows, and to go to the land of Canaan, right? The promised land. So in Genesis 12, verse 6, after Abram makes this incredible journey, do you guys realize I want to just park right here? Do you know that Abraham wasn't Jewish? Have you ever thought about that? He's from the land of the Chaldeans. There's, There's no Jewish race before this point. Abraham is the father of the Jews. It all begins with him. So look at this. In verse six, it says, "In there it is." Abram. I mean, that means we're getting close. What do I need to do? Hold it up higher. <laughs> All right, here we go. Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem. I want you to highlight Shechem. little fired up okay here we go so the land of shechem when's the last time you actually heard a message on shechem like what is that shechem don't you like just saying it shechem shechem i could go somewhere right now but lord keep me focused (laughs) remember this joke about this arabic prince but i'm gonna leave that there lord shechem so shechem is very interesting and here's why have you ever wondered that when God leads Abraham in this incredible journey, the first place that Abraham stops in Israel is not Jerusalem. It's not Hebron. It's not Capernaum. It's not Galilee. It's not Nazareth. It's not Bethlehem. It's Shechem. And it says, to the oak of Morah. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Look at verse 7. And the Lord appeared to Abram. That's the word I want you to highlight, appeared He had been speaking to Abram before he got there, but this is the first time the Lord actually appeared to him. Scholars believe that there's a possibility that the Lord actually manifested in the natural and met Abram at Shechem. I believe that there are certain places that God is waiting for you to put your feet on so he can appear to you in a way that you've never experienced before. Do you see what I'm saying? There is certain graces that are locked up in certain places that can only be encountered if you put your feet on that land. So when Abram is going to Shechem, he puts his feet on that land, and God begins to speak to him, confirms, right, the covenant that he's going to make with him. And then if you look down in the verse, it says, in response, Abraham builds an altar to the Lord. Why is this significant? Think of all the altars of worship that were established in the entire Old Testament. How many do you think there were? A lot, right? This is the very first one. Think about that. This is the very first altar that's established in Israel with Abraham. Not only that, he becomes the father of the Jewish race. And not only that, according to Paul in Galatians 3.14, Christ was crucified on the tree And redeemed, we were redeemed, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us, the Gentiles. So in many ways, Christianity traced its roots back to this one moment. You see, Shechem was no ordinary place in that day. It was the central, it still is, the demographic center of the nation of Israel. In Abraham's day, there were only two roads. There was a crossroads that went north, south, east, and west, and the intersection was Shechem. It was huge, but because of this natural occurrence in history, Shechem becomes a gateway for the rest of Israel. So if you begin to read throughout the entire biblical narrative, you begin to see these incredible things that happen at this one place, Shechem. The next one that's significant happens in Joshua 24, years down the road. When Joshua leads the nation back into the promised land, right, after they take the land, The first 23 chapters of Joshua are about the conquest of the land. But the last chapter is different. The last chapter of Joshua, he renews the covenant. Do you remember Moses gave instruction to Joshua said, when you get to the land, you go to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerzim. This is Deuteronomy 28, 29. He said, when you go to Mount Ebal and Gerzim, I want you to pronounce blessings and the curses, right? Blessings if you obey, curses if you're disobedient. Well, two mountain peaks, demographically, are usually separated by a valley. That's real. Guess what valley lies between Ebal and Gerzim? Shechem. So Joshua assembles the nation at Shechem, and he literally, this is where he writes the law. Remember that famous verse, as for me and my house? We'll serve the Lord. This happens at Shechem. So then what's so bizarre but incredible to me is the last few passages in chapter 24, and says that Joshua takes Joseph's bones and plants them in Shechem. It's kind of encouraging for us who do a lot of prophetic acts. They take the bones of, of a man that was actually, you know how old those remains were? They were over 400 years old. Did you ever think about that? They carried a coffin in the desert for 40 years because Joseph made them swear, if you ever go back to the promised land, I want you to bury me in the land of my forefathers. And they had such an honor for Joseph that they held his bones for 400 years, carried it 40 years, probably the only bones that were alive beside Moses and Joshua in that time. And they plant them in the land at Shechem. That is huge. They make a deposit. I feel that even right now, God is wanting us to make a deposit this weekend. I think there's some of you that the Lord just Lord showed me that there's a financial deposit that you're supposed to make this weekend. Mm-hmm. I believe there's, such a fi- there's a financial deposit. Some of us have been carrying old bones that need to be laid to rest and release it here this weekend. What I begin to discover about the land and why this is so incredible Is that the land in the Bible represents places in God that you and I are invited to? Remember David at Ziglag? Remember heard that story? David's worst moments at Ziglag. Ziglag for David was different than Bethlehem for David. Ziglag for David was different than Jerusalem was for David. Why? Because at Ziglag, everyone turned on him, it was his worst low moment. And David can only connect with God in a certain way that he couldn't connect with him in any other of those places. So it was at Ziglag where David had to find strength in the Lord, strengthen yourself in the Lord, when there was no strength left. See, in Bethlehem, he didn't have all those outside pressures around him. There was just some heart playing and connecting with Abba. It was just glorious. But at Ziglag, he had to learn how to connect with him in the same way amidst distraction, warfare, and accusation. What I'm saying is zigzag is a place we all go through in our Christian life. You will go through the place of pressing, accusation, challenges, all those things. We go through those things, but we can experience God's presence in that season like we can't anywhere else. You hear what I'm saying? So what I'm telling us is that literally places in the Bible, these significant places in the Bible actually represent prophetically to you and I places of invitation that we can experience God in ways that we can't experience anywhere else. That's incredible, guys. Let's keep going. So how about the New Testament? So when we read John 4, when he goes to the woman at the well, we're pretty familiar with that. You can go home and read that. But in John chapter 4, it says, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And he went to a town called Sychar in Greek. But the Hebrew word for Sychar, is anybody want to guess? Shechem. He was tired by his journey, and he sat down by a well. Anybody remember the name of the well? Jacob's well. Jacob's well, which was owned by Jacob, but it's where Joseph's bones were also planted at Shechem. But here's why it's so important. John 4, Jesus has that conversation with the woman at the well. It is the first time in Scripture that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah, plainly. And he does it to a Gentile woman. That is huge and significant. In Acts 8, if you keep reading after the Holy Spirit's poured out in Jerusalem, you'll read in Acts 8. Next, the Holy Spirit is poured out in Samaria when Philip goes there to preach. Why is that significant? Because outside of Jerusalem, it is the first place the Holy Spirit is poured out, and it's poured out at Samaria. Matthew Henry is a famous commentator. According to Matthew Henry, that town in Acts 8 is the town of Shechem, where Jesus appeared to the woman at the well. Are you catching the the, the pattern here? God loves to revisit the same place over and over. The point is Shechem all the way back to Abraham becomes a land of first. It becomes a birthplace for movements. It becomes a birthplace for many, many things. And what I'm telling you, what I've learned and discovered over the last few years of my life is that the Carolinas are a Shechem. They are a Shechem. Just as Shechem is to Israel, the Carolinas are to the South United States in the nation, really. It has a special inheritance. And it's really important to know that because when you can understand the grace that is in the land, it really positions you in such a way to come in agreement with what God wants to do in that land. What we begin to find is that there is a narrative that the father was writing. Remember, it said Jesus had to go there. Jesus didn't do anything he wanted to do, right? He only did what his father told him to do. Well, Jesus was in tune with Abba. He could have went anywhere, but he knew Abba was writing a storyline over that region. And rather than Jesus coming up with his own ministry, he says, I'm going to actually come into agreement with what you've already been doing in this land. What if we begin to operate in the same way? Where we're going, like Deuteronomy 11, we have to begin to operate and be led in such a way that we live, we die by the word of the Lord. Okay, again, let me give you another historical example. Now, everybody's heard of Azusa Street. Maybe for some of you who haven't, right, there's a huge outpouring of the Holy Spirit, William Seymour. I just want to show you how this principle works, even in in history. A lot of people are familiar with William Seymour, the one-eyed African-American man that led the Azusa Street Revival, right, today, over 600 million believers that are spirit-filled. Even what was happening in worship today in America traces its roots back to Azusa, right? This is like our forefathers, our founders. But what a lot of people don't know about the land part of Azusa Street, that's in Los Angeles, California, is that before Seymour got there, the barn, it was a barn when he got the building. Before it was a barn, guess what it was originally bought as? A United Methodist Church by this woman, a freed slave, whose name is Bibby Mason. And in 1872, 40 years before Azusa Street, Bibi Mason, a freed slave, was the first African-American woman in California to own land. God, and she purchased what is Azusa Street and bought this building to become a Methodist church for African-Americans in the city. Unbelievable, right? Well, let's go back a little bit further. Because before Bibby Mason, there was Coma Lee. Who is Coma Lee? We're going way back now. 1769, there was a Native American woman named Coma Lee. Now, I got this quote. This was a book from uh, Rick Joyner, actually. I want to read it. It's so powerful. This is what Rick Joyner said about Coma Lee. The very name of was derived from an Indian word that means blessed miracle. This was first noted by Father Juan Crespi in 1769. At the time, Azusa referred to the site of an old Indian village, and at the San Gabriel Canyon, there a young Indian girl named Coma Lee used to pray and fast for the healing of her people. After she prayed for a chief who was wonderfully healed, he gave her the name Azusa to come to commemorate his miracle of healing. And for many years, Azusa continued her healing ministry. While her fame spread all over Southern California, during a time whenever they were suffering, people said, go to Azusa and be healed. are you hearing me this morning? Guys, is that not exciting? What do you, I'm saying God writes narratives over lands and regions, but it takes us getting low enough, surrendered and yielded enough to actually be led to what he's writing so he can plug us into his story. So what happened in California with William Seymour was actually tapping in to a deeper well that God started years ago. Is that crazy? Isn't that unbelievable? All right, so let's shift. Let's shift. A few more minutes. Hang with me. Let's go to Carolina. Now, North and South Carolina, let's talk about our history for a little bit, okay? So the Carolinas, I always used to think it was North and South Carolina, the colonies, right? Well, when I began to kind of dig it out and research, I discovered Something that was remarkable to me. And it was called the Carolina Charter of 1663. This is way back. This is before we're 13 colonies. The Carolina Charter of 1663, which was established by King Charles II, right? Alan was talking on the show the other day. This is the Lord's given him revelation of Charles III, who just crowned king in England this month. It's the first time we've had a Charles sit on the throne of England since Charles II. That is significant. It's huge. Backstory. So, Andy and Ian will maybe help me on my history here and check up on me. But what I remember from his story is that Charles II came to power because there was a civil war. His father was beheaded, and the Cromwell's administration, I believe, were in power And Charles II, in order to regain the throne, made a deal with eight wealthy barons. In return, he says, if you lend me your political power and support, I will give you a chunk of land in the new world. So they did that. They make an agreement. And he now grants the charter to these eight Lord barons, many of which their names are are named after North and South Carolina counties. And so now the charter is written. And in this charter... Charles gives these eight lords basically free reign to establish cities, government, schools, to establish education, the church, all of these things. But there's, we can look at this charter, and you could actually look at it both in a positive and a negative light, right? I believe God really initiated this because this really leads to the formation of the Carolinas and while we're a gateway to the south. But at the same time, because we're a gateway, There's always a war for who controls the gate. And that war is either who's going to be in power, is it going to be the church, or is it going to be the enemy? So this charter laid out the boundary lines. Now, I used to think North and South Carolina, some of you have seen this, maybe some of you have not, but when I first saw it, it blew my mind. That the original charter of the Carolinas was every state in the South all the way to Southern California. Every state in the South to Southern California was Carolina for its first 66 years of existence. So I want you just to really think in your mind history here. A lot of times when, when the migrations, you know, the Carolina, especially coastal, were really filled with Scotch-Irish immigrants. Anybody have Scotch-Irish DNA in them? Look at all these Scotch-Irish in here. Scotch-Irish, Scottish, English also. A lot of the Europeans from that area settled into the Carolinas. And remember, they didn't come through the Gulf, right? History does it. They didn't, there wasn't a mass migration into the Gulf to Texas, Louisiana, but they either came through Virginia's, Carolina's, or Georgia. This was like the gate that all the, all the uh, immigrants came in, and they begin to populate. Well, why this is so significant is because you begin to see this is what makes the Carolinas a pattern for the rest of the South. Because naturally, people come here first, things are planted first. Are you tracking with me? Such as schools, churches, education, government. And this charter literally makes a way for Carolina, north and south, to be a land of first. I don't want to go too far into this, but I have a few firsts that are really factual that I thought would be really interesting. Check this out. Carolina, land of first, 1526. That's a long time ago. That's like in the Reformation era. The very first European settlement was actually near Georgetown, South Carolina. Now, it didn't last. It wasn't permanent, but it was the initial first one. Later, there would be one in Roanoke, but obviously the Roanoke Lost Colony ended up d- deteriorating, and the next the actual permanent one would be in 1607 in Jamestown, Virginia. But I just want to show you 1526 is a long time before 1607. How about this? 1587, Virginia Dare is the first person born in the New World in the Outer Banks. It's called Dare County, North Carolina. It was named after Virginia Dare. In that colony, also the first Native American to receive the gospel and be baptized was Chief Manio. It's actually called Manio, North Carolina. It's still there today. 1698. How about this? The first library in America is established in Charleston, South Carolina. 19 or 1770, the College of Charleston is the oldest college in the South. And UNC Chapel Hill is actually the oldest public university in all the South. Is that wild? How about this? This is, I thought, is really interesting. 1776, very, should be a known year in our government's history, right? South Carolina is the first independent government formed among the American colonies. South Carolina wrote its state constitution months before the declaration was even signed and pinned. In fact, they believed the South Carolina state constitution helped influence our United States constitution. And that think about that. That South Carolina literally formed the first government in the United States. There's something in the land. 1860, we're the first state to succeed from the Union. We're going to start seeing the gate here, good and bad, right? 1869, the first African-American to serve in the United States Congress, that's a big one, was Joseph Rainey. He was from South Carolina. We should all know this, 1903, first flight, the Wright brothers. Funny, even Chad was mentioning that last night. Airplane travel was invented in North Carolina. Unbelievable. So I want to talk about this real quick for a second. So That's just an example. There's so many others, guys. Yes, Holmes Bible College in Greenville, South Carolina, is the first spirit-filled college in America, right here in Greenville, literally. And I just want us to see that the land itself is a land of first, just as Shechem was a land of first. Carolina is a land of first. There is a great inheritance in this place. So now, but because it's a gateway, this is why, listen, not every region is a gateway region. Not every state is a gateway state. We are based on our history. That's what makes us a gateway region. But to know that is to know that there is extreme warfare that happens at gateway regions. Because the war is over authority. So whoever's in authority is going to actually influence and be trendsetters for the rest of the nation. That's why there's such a war for the authority. So there's always a war for the gate. So again, let's go back to Shechem. Shechem has a dark side in its history. We walk through some of the good stuff, right? But there's also a lot of bad at Shechem. Genesis 34, 1-31 30, is the story about Dinah, Jacob's daughter. Do you remember this? She's raped in the town of Shechem. And the two brothers, Simeon and Levi, are so enraged, You know, they're like, hey, we want you all to be circumcised if we're going to come together. And they say, if you do that, then we will intermarry. (laughs) But you know what happens in the story? Jacob and Simeon tricked them deceitfully. And while they were circumcised, all the males in Shechem, while they were healing, they went after them and murdered every son in Shechem and spilled innocent blood. So much so God had to get Jacob and move him out of there. What are you saying? Bloodshed, mass murder happened at Shechem. Genesis 37, Joseph is attacked and thrown in the well right near Shechem. It's right around that area. Judges 9, how about this? Gideon's son, we don't talk about this much, murders his 70 brothers at the place where Joshua ratified the covenant at Shechem in Joshua 24. First Kings 12, in Israel's history, after David's king, Solomon's king, The nation of Israel splits in two. There's a civil war that rips the nation. And the northern part of Israel becomes 10 tribes. Southern part of Israel becomes two tribes. That happens at Shechem. The whole, whole nation divides into this incredible civil war. And so what I'm saying is that literally there is a war for whoever operates the gate. And I believe that the Lord is raising up right now men and women out of the Carolinas who are actually going to understand and walk in this level of understanding because here's the deal. If we don't step into our authority, the enemy's going to take it. If you don't step into your God-given authority, then the enemy is going to try to take it. And if he does, we know what comes down the pike. But the good news is, but if we step into that authority, if we step into radical faith and we believe God for the impossible, I believe we tap in to the promises and the deposits that God has made in the Carolinas for all these years. Okay. Are you with me? All right, here's a principle. The question I have for you. Can the land become sick and unproductive? Can I want to show you in the Bible, Leviticus 18. Go with me here. This is a good one to go to. When the Lord opened this up to me, my eyes, it, it, it took, me, took me by surprise. And everything began to make sense of why there's such a war over the land. I mean, guys, just think about Israel. There has been a war over that land since the beginning. And the Bible says it will to the very end. Leviticus 18. I want you to go to verse 21. Leviticus 18, verse 21. The chapter 18 in Leviticus, basically, if you read its whole entirety, God is saying there are two specific ways that the land itself, not just people, listen to me now, The land itself can become sick and unproductive if these two things are agreed with, practiced, and tolerated at a national level. Verse 21, and you shall not give any of your children to offer to Moloch and to profane the name of your God. This is a paradigm of what abortion is. This child sacrifice This is where they literally offered up their children to foreign gods for the sake of economic gain, for rain to come. He was the storm god. That's the purpose, why they did it. God is saying, do not participate in that type of belief and practice. He said, that is not good. It will profane my name. Now look at the next one. And you shall not lie with a male as you would with a woman. It's an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Now skip down to verse 26. Watch what the Lord says. But you shall keep my status and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these things, and the land, highlight this, the land became defiled and unclean. Least the land will vomit you out if, You practice and make this unclean as it vomited out the nation before you. Anybody ever had the stomach bug in here before? Mm, I've had it a few times. And when it hits you, I mean, it's just coming up, isn't it? Sorry. I know it's TMI, but it is. Everyone in here has had that experience. Think about the land. God is saying if these things are tolerated and practiced and agreed with at the national level, then the land itself that you depend on for your crops, your wealth, your prosperity, will actually become sick and unproductive, and it will not take any seed that you plant in it. Wow, isn't that crazy? So how do we reconcile that with New Testament? Jesus paid our debt, he's broken every curse, right? It's over, the war's over, it's finished, right? But the reality is the gospel in his blood has to be applied, has to be proactive. So if we are not proactively applying the blood, what the Bible is telling us is that this actually gives the enemy legal right to influence cities and regions and nations. It gives them a right to come and influence world leaders, governmental leaders, church leaders, even if they participate with the enemy in this context, God is saying this allows the enemy a foothold. He said, but where the blood is applied, where forgiveness is given, where mercy is given, then that will be broken and the enemy will not have power over your city, but my presence will invade that city. Gosh, that's what's so powerful. So when you look at Shechem, it had a lot of bloodshed, right? But that's why it's so powerful when Jesus strolls into town and the Holy Spirit is poured out at Shechem, it's like that whole place is liberated and the land comes alive again. So I feel that there's such this same corresponding thing happening with the Carolinas, all right? A few more minutes. You're doing really well. Hang in there. Carolina has a darker side. Oh, can we talk about it for a minute? Carolina has a darker side. See, the charter, it was given, but again, whoever controls the gate, it could be used for good or for evil. The charter had a statement in it. When, he gave, when King Charles gave authority to the eight lords, he also said, you have authority to remove, this is quoted in the charter, the barbarous people who are inhabitants of the land. We all know who he was referring to the natives that lived here. Carolinas actually held at one time the highest population of Native Americans because of all the creeks, the waters, the bays that the Carolinas have in coastal Carolina. It was rich soil. Some of the richest soil is in the Carolinas, guys. That's even today. There's better farming soil in the Carolinas than there is almost in the rest of the nation. Soil is so really, um, what's that word? It's so active and alive. A farmer taught me this in eastern North Carolina that you could actually put some seed and not even do anything. It'll grow and sprout up because there's such a a richness and, and certain minerals in the soil of the Carolinas. So it was huge sought out by the Native Americans, but because of that charter, it initiated what is called the Tuscarora and Yamisi Wars of those tribes in the Carolinas, and it led to incredible bloodshed of natives all over the land, and it led to the women and children being slaves. Here's what's really wild and interesting. That war actually culminates in a peace treaty that actually was between colonists and natives, and they struck a peace deal, a peace treaty that that actually sought for peace for a while. Guess where the peace treaty took place? On Highway 14, right down the road over here in Greenville. You could actually go down Highway 14. There's a state marker called DeWitt's Treaty with the Cherokee Indians for safe passage. Again, you got to, it's factual things, but if you use your prophetic lens, there's a grace on this land for peace to end conflict. Man. The document also, we know, paved the way for Southern slavery as an institution. Charleston became one of the biggest port slaves of slavery, as well as other places in the Carolinas. And so again, slavery really as an institution in the deep South took root through the Carolinas first, and then spread into places like Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and so forth. And so we know that that's a stain in our nation. But I just, again, I want to bring us that whoever controls the gate controls what comes through the gate. I thought this was interesting. 1801, Masonic capital of the world is in Charleston, South Carolina. Actually, Amber and I went there on a prayer strike one time, and there's actually this plaque that's there. And this was the actual international world gathering of Freemasons of the world, not just America, of the world it started in Charleston, South Carolina. And historically, why this is significant is because a lot of the racial conflicts that would happen, especially at the turn of the century, were really, really promoted through lodge meetings and a lot of partnerships with Freemasonry from former southern plantation owners. That's what history tells us. But here's what's wild. At this site, I asked the Lord, why would the world's nation of Freemasons gather in Charleston, South Carolina to make its headquarters? Guess why? Because if you look on your map, Charleston sits on the 33rd degree parallel line and masonry teaches that there's 33 degrees to masonry. And I thought, Lord, what a wild. Jesus was 33 years old when he died. And what blew my mind is that that stayed in Charleston until 1886 when there was a rare earthquake called the Charleston earthquake of 1886, and it destroyed the building. How interesting is that? That is unbelievable. Anyway, darker side, if you're familiar with segregation laws, in our country's history, right, the Deep South, Black Fountain, White Fountain, some of you were probably alive during those times when it was real integration, segregation, and how it was a really challenging time, especially in the South. That starts in Wilmington, North Carolina. Wilmington, North Carolina has this racial massacre event. It's actually the only time in America's history that a successful coup d'etat was performed. A coup d'etat is a French term for a government overthrowing another government. And in this case, it was the Democratic Party who overthrew the Republican Party of Wilmington to initiate racial murder and violence to intimidate black folks from voting at the polls so that they could regain power in the state and then begin to legislate laws that would begin to separate the races. Unbelievable. That happened in North Carolina. That literally initiated segregation to take root in every southern state in America. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, beside a dark side, there's also a good side. So not only has there been these things that happened in North Carolina, we're going to end the plane here, but Carolina is also a land that has been known for birthing revival and reformation. There's always a war for the gate. What I've learned that blew my mind is that almost every major evangelical holiness Pentecostal and charismatic movement or denomination today for the whole South starts either in North or South Carolina. First one, you ever heard of the Quakers? Contrary to popular opinion, the Quakers were a Holy Spirit-filled people. And George Fox, their leader, was unbelievable. He was led by the Lord, by the Spirit, and the Quaker movement took root in North Carolina. Actually, George Fox traveled to the Carolinas and preached in the 1600s, and literally the first Quaker churches were established up and down the Carolina coast. The Quaker denomination in America grew out of that. It was it, It's unbelievable. After him came the Baptists. Anybody ever hear from a Baptist background? Yes. Reverend Paul Palmer was one of the first ones to preach from the Baptist denomination who came down in the Carolinas, Right. And he literally began to preach up and down the Carolina coast in all Baptist churches. I mean, you guys, think about it. if we were to get in a charter bus right now, this whole group, and we took a tour through that map from here to Arizona. And let's count every Southern Baptist, First Baptist, Black Baptist, White Baptist. How many Baptist churches do you think we're going to count? <laughs> and they all come from the Carolinas. Not just the Baptists, the African-American Baptist Church starts in Silver Bluff, South Carolina, 1700s. Anybody ever heard of the Moravians? The Moravians travel from Pennsylvania. They come to North Carolina in Winston-Salem, and they actually begin the Moravian movement in Winston-Salem. They buy a piece of land called the Wachovia Track. Anybody ever used to bank with Wachovia? That's where it got its name. Wacovia Bank was given from the Wacovia tract that the, the Moravians influenced the banking system. How about the Methodist church? Anybody ever heard of the Methodists? John Wesley sends a guy named Joseph Pillmore. this is fascinating, to the Outer Banks, North Carolina, 1772, to Currituck. And here's the state marker, but Pillmore preaches what is the first Methodist sermon in The New World in the South in the New World in the Carolinas. Guess what his text was on. It's actually on the other side of the sign. You ready what he preached on? Matthew chapter 3.11. There is one who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Think about that. The first Methodist message that was planted in the ground of the South was he comes to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. From there, all the Methodist churches in the South come back. How about this? The first African Methodist church is Emmanuel Episcopal in Charlestown, South Carolina. You may remember that in the news some years ago where that young man went into the Bible study and shot all those in the Bible study. That church is the oldest first black Baptist church or Methodist church, excuse me, in the South. No coincidence that he went in that one, is it? Do you pick up the theme? I'm just keep repeating it. There's always a war for the gate. 1896. Azusa Street is credited as the beginning of the Pentecostal movement where tongues were given, but there's actually an account that predates it. And it was in 1896 in a little town called Murphy, North Carolina, not far from Bryson City, not far from here. And what happened in Murphy, North Carolina is called the Shear schoolhouse revival. That's it right there. And in 1896, 10 years before Azusa Street, Native American Cherokee freed slaves and poor white folks gathered in a schoolhouse and began to pray. And the Holy Spirit showed up and they began to speak in other tongues. It's documented and recorded in the Church of God is the Church of God's history. And why it's so significant, it's the first documented account in America where the actual tongues were given at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It would be 10 years before Azusa Street would happen. The leaders out of this schoolhouse actually influenced a guy named Charles Parham and William Seymour for the theology of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That theology actually came from the sheer schoolhouse revival. Now, just, I mean, guys, grasp that that, man, I just feel the Lord right here, that the first recipients of the Holy Spirit in America that we know of were the natives, African-Americans, and poor white farmers. And look where it took place. In a schoolhouse. I I feel God is like screaming, shouting. You know, he's looking, he's like, this this is how I work, these are my ways. But again, it, it had to happen in North Carolina. I believe it. Just as Jesus had to go to Shechem the Holy Spirit had to come here first. And we can go on and on, but how other many great ministries came out of the Carolinas. Billy Graham, Old Roberts, first pastorate was in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Derek Prince, the famed British evangelist. Alan, you remember last year you read the prophecy of Derek Prince, Jacksonville, North Carolina. My dad and a prayer ministry team for 20 years. 20 years gathered pastors all over eastern North Carolina and prayed over that Derek Prince prophecy that went like this. One day, I, ha- I have found favor with you here in eastern North Carolina, and one day there will be a revival greater than the Wells revival in England, and leaders from the north, south, east, and west will come and study the phenomenon in the Carolinas. That was a huge prophetic word given by Derek Prince over this whole land and this region. There's been a lot of people that have been praying and believing for that word to come to pass. I believe God is inviting us to the same thing. So what are some takeaways that that this teaches us? Number one, the Carolinas are ordained to be a trendsetter region. Chad brought us into an incredible revelation last night, prophetic word about how God is raising up the innovators. You guys remember that that there is a there is a drawling for innovators and in innovation, Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. He equates the the uh, the innovators as trendsetters, and trendsetters. Carolina, you see, this, Carolina sets trends for the rest of the nation. Baptist churches, Methodist church, it set a trend for the church government. The first state government set a trend in government education, healthcare—there there is a grace in the land to set a trend for the rest of the nation. Number two, it's ordained to influence national government. We see that all through our history. There was a prophetic word given in our church last Sunday that there was someone in our midst who would actually rise to high places of prominence in the political world in America. I believe that. Chad even said it last night, there could be the next president of the United States right here among us. I believe that wholeheartedly. This is something that the Lord showed me. In the days ahead, the Carolinas are going to be ordained to be a refuge for Jews and persecuted Christians. We are going to see a mass exodus. You think people are moving down now? There's going to be a mass exodus out of cities in the West Coast, the Northeast that are going to come, that are going to be drawn here to find refuge and, and safety, to find just a place where they could actually practice their faith without being ridiculed and persecuted. We're going to see that happen in the Carolinas. The Jews too. The Carolinas have a history of harboring the Jews. Charleston had one of the highest Jewish populations. North Carolina did too because it gave refuge to the Jews at a time when they were hurting and depressed. I believe also we are going to harbor the Jews because let me tell you what the spirit of Antichrist is going to do in the last days. Not only is it going to attack the church, but it's going to attack the Jews. It's going to say it's both the Jews and the Christian's fall. But I believe God is ordaining our land to be a, a Goshen, is the word Chad keeps getting, a Goshen, a safe haven for those types of folks coming in. The Carolinas are ordained with an Issachar discernment. God, I love this. There's an unusual ability to see and discern resting on our land. And if you have faith enough, you can grab it. God wants to sharpen our discernment in the days ahead he wants us to see in ways we've never seen before at a studying revival out of azusa street both william seymour and cashwell they both said that the gift that followed them from azusa was discernment it was the top gift that they operated in and the reason why is because there was so much warfare at the gates in the regions that they were called to Guys, there's always going to be an ongoing conflict in this land, in this region. It's just how it is. That's okay. But having discernment, having an understanding, God is with us. Man, it is unbelievable what can happen. That discernment is going to really work in three ways. There's only three ways this thing really plays out. Either it's coming from the enemy, it's coming from the flesh, or it's coming from the Holy Spirit. It's going to come from one of those three sources, but growing and sharpening our discernment will help us begin to separate which one's which. Seymour was noted for this. They said in the upper room both both people who would be filled with the holy spirit would respond a certain way. Now I believe this. I believe that we're all different, we all different personalities. And I've seen the holy spirit hit some people and I'm like there's just no faking it. It's a real legit. Amber and I lived underneath a girl named Michelle Brackus, who was a Presbyterian to the core. I mean, dresses down to here, white pearl necklace, very prim proper. Carried herself very amazing. A master student at Regent in education, great great friend of ours. And she went to a catch the fire one time that Regent hosted. <laughs> And she went through a fire tunnel, led by John and Carol Arnott and, and a couple of other people, and she went down, and she was never the same. And she would twitch and and I'm like, "Are you okay?" Amber and I would have coffee in her apartment, like months later, and she didn't like it, but it was almost when the Holy Spirit filled the room, she her body would respond. And Amber, you could ask Amber, there's no way that woman was making that up. No way. I knew her. Like it was legit. It was real. But it was the Holy Spirit manifesting on her. Now, I think she was able to, you know, operate in it. But, but you have that case. But then you also have when the Holy Spirit hits, you have some people that just get in the flesh. You got people that just act out and it gets real fleshly. And now it begins to draw attention away from what God is doing to them. Takes someone with discernment to be able to say, hmm. I know you're excited, but the flesh won't glory in this place. This is about God. You know, and then it takes some discernment to see, man, this thing's from the demonic. This is wolves. This is, whole, this is whew. the Carolinas are ordained to have an incredible eyesight and level of discernment. And lastly, the Carolinas are ordained as reformers. This is a land of reformation. And I do believe that in the days we're coming, God is calling reformers to their post. Reformers are different than revivalists. Revivalists have a certain call and a certain charge from the Lord. It's real. It's legit. But reformers have a different call and a different charge. And reformers literally shift political landscapes. They shift culture. They shift things. And I believe that the Lord is wanting to really raise up reformers who are really led by the Holy Spirit But they also are burning with this Daniel type desire to educate themselves in the things of the spirit and in the things of the word in the things of the spirit and the things of the word in the word. And I also believe that grace is on the Carolinas. And so, again, the whole point of this this uh, this morning is just to really bring us into this understanding that. This land has had so many historical deposits. There's grace here that can be accessed like nowhere else can be. Other places have their own story, but this is our story. This is our inheritance. The fire of the Carolinas has always been about the Holy Spirit being poured out on a generation to love the Father better and to reform society and culture that it will make it look more like the kingdom than the world. But make no mistake about it, I'll say it one last time, he who controls the gate controls what comes through the gate. So the charge this morning to you is, are you ready to man your post? Husbands, are you ready to man your post in marriage? Moms, are we ready to man our post in our families? Wherever he's called us, our church, our schools, our campuses, are we ready to man our post? because there is such an authority that's going to come over you when you be bold for him. Amen? All right, one last thing I would love to do to end here is, I felt like the Lord showed me this in worship. I felt like to end with doing communion, but as a prophetic act. Ben, can you come back up here and just begin to play? And this is what, everybody can stand with me. This is what I felt like the Lord showed me. I actually saw a picture of Alan and Chad, and what I would love to do is have both of you minister communion. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, "I want to marry North and South Carolina." <clears throat> and I think the best way to do this is here in a minute, Alan. You could lead us off in in the body, the bread, the bread and the body, and then Chad lead us in the blood and the wine. And, and pray over us. But before we do, I, I feel like there's some words I want to release right here. Father, we come into agreement right now with your will and your purpose for the Carolinas. We check all of our opinions, thoughts, expectations, Lord, we leave them at the door right here. I don't want to live in Egypt and irrigate the Nile when I know that I have been invited to pour out my life in honor to you and be led by what you're saying. I declare that you are marrying the Carolinas. That we are one and not two states. I feel like the Lord has shown me there's such a synergy coming over North and South Carolina right now. There's such a synergy when we get together. In the days ahead, as we gather together, there's gonna to be a divine release. I feel like what He's showing me where we're going, South Carolina alone can't get there, and North Carolina alone can't get there. But there has to be a marriage. There has to be an agreement. There has to be a covenantal agreement for what the Father has been doing in this land since the beginning of time. Give us eyes to see, Father, what you're doing. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. Like Shechem, we agree that this place is special to you that this is a land where you want to heal, where you want to birth, where you want to resurrect, where you want to redeem, where you want to restore things that the enemy has taken away from us. Lord, we absolutely love this land. We treasure this land. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for positioning us in this beautiful place, now I know what David meant when he said, Surely the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance of the Lord. I just see Jesus in our midst right now. Mm. So yeah, I'd like to invite Alan and Chad come up. Why don't you guys come up, Alan?
1: Would you get the bread in your hand? It's interesting that South Carolina has often led the way morally between the Carolinas. North Carolina has led the way financially between the Carolinas. Cornelius in Acts chapter number 10, the Bible said his praying and his giving came up as a memorial before God. What if the two Carolinas coming together creates a memorial before heaven? In the gospel of John, Jesus spoke more interestingly enough about the bread than he did about the wine, the blood. Does it make sense to me in my religious nature because the blood. But you can't put new wine in old wineskins. And so there must be a release of the redemptive work of the healing power of Jesus in our bodies. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. For the new covenant to be poured into a broken vessel, that does no good. But in the name of Jesus, hold that bread up. In the name of Jesus. There will be a supernatural, the healing that takes place through this communion and over the next few days here at Fire in the Carolinas in your body to strengthen your vessel, to carry the oil, to carry the anointing, to carry the new wine that he's pouring out in this place. Father, we pray your blessing. We pray your blessing over this bread. The body of Jesus was broken for us. And today when we partake of it together, we amend that body. We bring that body back together. And as the body of Jesus assembles in this place, let healing be released. Let deliverance be released. We receive it now in Jesus' mighty name. Receive of the bread.
2: Michael, will you take some bread and some juice? And go ahead and put it in the land. Do you remember where we buried your book? Can you go over there near it? Just put it in the ground. Amber, will you go with him? I had a student ask me this year, what is the key to humility? before I could think I was saying truly believing that you put Jesus on the cross will keep you low the rest of your life you know for me when I I look at the juice and I think about his blood to me I personalize it of who am I for him to forgive yet he did He he poured his blood out it's astounding I've often said that this place is a it's a Reformation house. It's a Acts 13 Antioch place where God's raising up a Reformation university. But here's what Reformers do. Reformers lay their lives down like martyrs. Reformers don't ask what's in, quote-unquote, ministry or assignment for me. Re- Reformers, historically, when God raises up Reformers, they are the ones that are the most. The devil hates Reformers. And Reformers go really, really, really low. So we're going to do two things uh, with communion. We're going to just reflect and receive a fresh renewal, even in our minds, of forgiveness that's afforded to us. Bless the Lord, all my soul, for getting all his benefits, who heals me of all my sins and forgives me of all my diseases, forgives me of all my sins. That's the bread and the wine right there. But there's a secondary part to this. Are you willing to say, Lord, as you were poured out, you pour me out for whatever you want. I'm at your disposal. It's receiving love, forgiveness, tenderness, compassion from Jesus and it's also this communion at least saying whatever whatever my role is in your huge narrative my answer is yes drink the juice in that spirit of mine now please We bless you, Carolinas. I saw two things while Michael was speaking. I saw the Research Triangle, the Raleigh area. Innovation is in this land. It's just really funny. I just... I saw the Charlotte Hornets. And uh, my dad used to have season tickets to the Hornets. And then the Hornets changed their name to Bobcats. And the city got so mad and sports fans got so mad they changed it back to Hornets. That's never happened in the history of pro sports. And God kept showing me, you know, a lot of times you hear Hornets nest and it sounds like a negative thing. This place is a Hornets nest of reformers. And the design on Charlotte Hornets and also the Carolina Panthers is they are a team that is designed for the Carolinas. That There's an ordained, don't ever over respect the devil when there's a hornet's nest being stirred up by the father not just the devil I saw God calling this house to an anti-woke substantial school that's going to reach the next generation while we stay on the mercy seat I bless us Carolinas that we would stay on the mercy seat and fear zero woke agenda may we have loud mouths and humble hearts may we not fear any demonic agenda many of you in here are being called to open your mouth really wide the devil has tricked the church thinking that humility is being quiet it's not true at all the church is actually getting very 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 loud be slow to believe what you what you hear on social media the church is rising i close with this god gave me a dream months ago and the church trickled down to one tiny flame in the midwest and it was up near chicago and i said lord what is this in my dream he said that's the church and all of a sudden, he scanned me back, and a little flicker of flame started hitting other flames, and I, it started going everywhere. The remnant church really is rising, guys. It's happening. It really is happening. May we be one of those, Father. We ask that you do whatever it takes on your end to keep us in the remnant, Father. I thank you for Revelation twelve eleven, and we just declare to you that we're not asking anything of what's in it for us till our deaths counting our lives really not even worthy of anything other than just to lay down before you, we say yes in Jesus' name. Amen.